This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Um, we all know that saying, don't we? Red sky at night, shepherd's delight or sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's or sailor's warning. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but in that passage we just read, there are three sort of statements in a sense that are said that have become part of the English you know, um, idiom, English part, part of the English, right? Red sky at night or red sky in the morning. But also the simple phrase, signs of the times. I don't know if you noticed that, but that is a statement which is now become. You know, all sorts of people use that. I once um, had a. I was speaking to somebody on the telephone, a potential customer, and they said something about, "Well, it's the sign of the times." And I picked up on it and said, "What do you mean by the sign of the times?" He said, "I don't mean anything really." All oh, right, okay, fair enough. It's just that when I say it, I mean something by it, and I wondered what your views were. So that, that got a conversation going. There, are, I, I do wonder as well why there are so many phrases out of the Bible that have become part of it, the English language. Um, the obvious statement to make is because it's the Bible, because it's, it's the inspired word of God, and there's many things that are said in the Bible that are true and accurate and hit the nub of the matter very quickly because very wise men wrote them, inspired by God, but very wise men wrote them. The second reason why I think there's so many sayings in the English language is, uh, it doesn't matter what version you're using, but the, the, the main version of the Bible in our country was, of course, the King James Version, the authorised version, um, and at the time... You'd be ex- wouldn't be expecting me to say this, but William Shakespeare has some relevance. In the sense that William Shakespeare is arguably the best author that Britain's ever had, and he had a pithy way of putting words together in a brilliant fashion. And people were getting used to, the general public were getting used to, um, brilliant literature and brilliant plays, even if they were illiterate, they could listen to them. So when it came to the translation of the Bible, they didn't just transfer the Hebrew words word for word and shove them on a piece of paper. They often didn't mistranslate them, but put them in a way or in an order that expressed it as beautifully and as fully as possible. So it's not just a literal translation we've got. It's almost a Shakespearean attempt at a literal translation. It's brilliantly done. Um, Here here are some examples. You've already, I believe... um, had some. You've already dealt with a matter of life and death, haven't you? And I can't remember where that comes from, can you? I can't remember. But uh, that's a Bible saying. Eat, drink and be merry is one you've done. Um, I look with interest at one, I've not listened to the talk, but the writing is on the wall, which you may or may not remember is from Daniel chapter 5. You'll know these as well. Can a leopard change his spots? See if you answer any of these where you think they're from. You'll struggle. That's from Jeremiah chapter 13. Wash your hands of the matter. Now, that's not a phrase, but that's taken straight out of the Bible. It's talking about Pilate, you know, how he washed his hands because he didn't want any guilt to be upon him. And it's used in the English language. Weighed in the balance. It's a Bible. It comes from the Bible. It's from Job, from Job 31. A lot of them are from Job. Wits end, at your wits end. That's from Psalm 107. Talking about people who were struggling at the mind because of what was going on. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' words. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, well done. Chapter 1. The scapegoat. Now the scapegoat, that's Leviticus chapter 16 in the law. But the interesting thing about the scapegoat is the meaning of the scapegoat in the English language has changed from what it was in the original. Because now when we think of a scapegoat, imagine I was still a member here. 
and you all came to the sorry about this, but you come, all came to the meeting one Sunday morning, and somebody had sprayed on all the walls. Liverpool are the greatest football team. Now you know Albert supports Liverpool, but you know full well he wouldn't have done that. And you know Andrew probably supports Liverpool, and you know he wouldn't have done it if I'd have been a member of it. I'd have got the blame. I'd have, and, and somebody might have said, "Well, we better we've got to blame somebody, otherwise it'll get around all the ecclesias. Darren will have to be the scapegoat." So the scapegoat is the person, isn't it, that you you put the blame on? But in the Original, the scapegoat was different. It's the opposite way round in the Leviticus chapter 16. If you remember, there were two goats. There was a goat that the sin of all the people was pressed upon the head of the animal and it was then butchered to death. And the second goat was the Azazel, which was the what we call the scapegoat. But that's the escaping goat. It's the completely the opposite way round. It's not the goat that has everything upon it. It's the goat that's allowed to be free. So the English language has changed that. Probably because people are more happy at being miserable than they are being happy. They turn something into a negative. Seeing eye to eye, Isaiah 52. Um, I'll quote this wrong, and you've all heard it quoted wrong, that uh, that money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of it. It's the correct saying, and people regularly quote it wrong, don't they? That's 1 Timothy chapter 6. By the skin of his teeth. You know, he got out of Ormskirt meeting by the skin of his teeth. (laughs) That's from Job. Job chapter 19. Um, nothing but skin and bones. It's Ju- this is Jewish idiom. These are phrases which are part of the Jewish language, which have been picked up and then put into clever, good English. That's from Job as well. Going with the ex- Go the extra mile. Loads of people use that. You know, oh, we've got to sort this out. We'll go the extra mile. Jesus, in the context of, you know, if you've got a problem with your brother, you know, uh, forgive him, carry his burden, or whatever, and go to with him if he needs help. Just go the extra mile to help him out a broken heart Psalm 34 and of course the blind leading the blind was words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 so um, the the phrase then um, that we've got to deal with today nearly said tonight um, the the red sky at night the context is if you open your Bibles at Matthew 16 if you're not already there the context is that Jesus is meeting the scribes uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees now, I'll, I'll just read a little short quote for you from Acts chapter 23, which is, in a sense, relevant. It's, it's not, the incident's not relevant in Acts 23, but what the words that are said in Acts 23 are exactly the same context of what would have been in Jesus' time. And this is the quote in Acts 23. There arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other. They despised each other. There's only, apparently, only one record in history. Never mind your Bible. There's only one record in history where the scry of the Pharisees and the Sadducees came together for one purpose. Have a guess what that was. The death of Jesus. That's the first time they ever came together. But they, now, the Sadducees, you, you know why they're called Sadducees, don't you? Because they're sad, you see. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. Okay? They're sad, you see. They don't believe. You'll remember that. And the Pharisees were, were called the Pharisees because it's a word which means to separate and whatever. Going back to the days of Ezra. And the, it, it, so the, the Pharisees believed themselves to be very pure. And the Sadducees, well, of course, they thought they were pure, but they were completely contrasting. One group believed um, in the whole of the Old Testament scriptures, and the other just focused on the books of Moses, and there was contention about which was most important. So the contention is, the context is, that here in verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came. 
So you've got the extremes within the religious political society coming together and, tempt, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. They were interested in seeing a sign from heaven. They were interested in testing him and tempting him as to whether he would show them a sign from heaven, which is not the same thing. They wanted proof. Really what they wanted was proof that this is not Messiah. When they were given signs that proved he was Messiah, they overlooked them and pretended and weren't interested. Really what they were looking for is proving that Jesus was not Messiah. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye, will, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. Red sky at night, shepherds delight. Do you know why the red sky is red at night? You possibly do. You'll find out again in a bit. There is a, imagine, you, now unfortunately there's been a, a weather reporter, hasn't there, in the northwest, who I know Andrew knew at one level or another but unfortunately he's passed away this this she has passed away this last week i, I don't know how to tell what the weather's doing if you didn't have a television a radio a newspaper or a mobile phone would you know what the weather is going to be like tomorrow there's only one occasion i can think of where i can tell what the weather's going to be like tomorrow and that when that's when there's a red sky at night not always but usually and this is the reason This is the reason. The wind, in this part of the world, in the northern hemisphere typically, the wind typically comes from the west. Not always. When we get east wind, we know about it. When we get a north wind, we know about it. When we get a southern wind, we know about it. But it normally it's from the west. If it comes from the east, it's usually very cold, or the north. When it comes from the west, it means that whatever weather there is out west is on its way towards us. Pretty obvious. So when you look out to the west late at night and you see red sky at night, what you're looking at when you're seeing a red sky is all the dust particles and other things that are in the higher atmosphere and the sun setting and shining on them and you're looking at red dust particles. Now if you're looking at red dust particles out in the west, because the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, when you're looking at red dust particles in the sky in the, in the, way in the west, that tells you the, the weather coming towards it must be dry it can't be raining because there's dust particles in the air it's, it's really quite simple it's brilliant when you see a red sky in the morning shepherd's warning sailor's warning it means well the good weather's passed so the chances are there's bad weather behind it especially in this country but I want you to think about this one thing we read this I mean, we know this and, but we think about this in our little English way don't we this, Jesus was in Israel and I've learned something this last week that I never knew about Israel, and it's hardly surprising. Is that Israel has the most changeable weather, according to the um, meteorologists or whatever you call them, of any country in the whole of the world. I'll read something for you. A professor. His name is, and I'll spell it, I'll say it wrong, a bit like Stan this morning, Professor Pinchas Alpert. However, and he's the director of the School of Atmospheric Studies in Jerusalem, I think. This is what he read, wrote, wrote. And I've had to slightly clip a bit of it because he then went off into some detail, so I've cut it. Israel is the coast located at the ex exact point where four weather sy systems converge. Four weather systems converge. So you've got weather systems out north and west, north and east, south and east, and south and west. Have you got that? <laughs> but basically you've got four completely... So if, you're from, if you've got a weather system that's coming from the south and the east from Africa guess what the weather's going to be like 
Uh, you know what it's going to be like. If you've got a weather system that's coming from the northeast and it's coming from Siberia, especially in winter, guess what the weather's going to be like? Well, Israel, in his words, there's only one, is the only landmass with these four weather systems doing converging different things, and I think that's relevant in this passage, doing different things, four patterns all the time that are changing. So in the days of Jesus particularly, and now, but nowadays they switch on the television, in the days of Jesus, anything they could find for a sign to see whether it's going to be safe to go out fishing through the night and come back at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, 30 miles out at sea, you see the point, in your little fishing boat, if you know it's going to be awful weather, which, like that, like for example, when Paul, when he, went, when, when he was taken and they, they crashed at Malta, I found a, um, a, a recording, a writing from the Roman Empire, which said basically anybody who sails after September across the Mediterranean West is an idiot after September because the weather can be so bad and it's treacherous. And that's when he was taken, in October, if I recall. Anyway. So, oh, sorry, I'll read it. Israel is located at the exact point where these four weather systems converge. This is why the country is subject to contradictory weather patterns, rainy or dry, as well as highly unpredictable shifts in the direction of the prevailing winds. These unusual climatic conditions make it very difficult to predict the weather conditions. He wasn't talking about the Bible, he's talking about Israel. There is no other inhabited region on earth that experiences such a convergence of opposing weather systems. The only other places on earth are in the mid-ocean. Right, now I, I don't think that's coincidence. I don't think it's coincidence that Israel happens to have the most bizarre weather patterns of any nation on the earth. Especially when you read all sorts of things that have happened in the Bible, which is a separate talk, where the weather played a huge part in what was going on. Just, just a small point, for example. If you remember the, the occasion of Deborah and Sisera, um, Deborah fighting against Sisera, Deborah and Barak and whatever, and she runs down the, they run down the mountain, they fight with sister, Sisera. If you read the song in chapter 5 of Judges, Deborah in her song, just in a passing comment, explains what the weather was like. If you're fighting an army, which is you're on foot and they've got 900 chariots of iron, what weather condition would you like it to be most of all if you're fighting against 900 chariots of iron? Muddy. Muddy. You want it to pour it down. And Deborah in her song says, the mountains melted. It was raining that heavily that it looked that the mountains were melting. Everything was landslides, there was mud, and they got stuck in the bottom of the mud. Lots of things happened in Israel due to the weather, even Jesus calming the sea, just like that, all sorts of things. So, now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not thick people, they were bright people, and like us, especially, we might, we're, the youngers, younger of us are less likely to know about Red Sky at Night, Shepherd's Delight, Red Sky in the Morning, Shepherd's Warning, than older people, because we don't need to know old sayings like that, because you just can find out what the weather is. If you lived 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and you worked as a farmer or as a seaman or whatever, you had to think about these things. The Pharisees would know, and the Sadducees know, which is exactly what Jesus was saying, you know if it's red sky at night, the weather's going to be all right tomorrow. You know if the red sky is going to be lowering and red in the morning, there's a fair chance it's going to be a bad day for all sorts of He knows that, and that's when he says in verse 3, in the morning, and in the morning it would be foul weather day, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot, 
Can ye not discern the signs of the times? You're a hypocrite. Now what's hypocritical about being able to tell what the weather's going to do as opposed to about Jesus showing them a sign? What's hypocritical about that? If I said to you, you're hypocrites because you you could tell me what the weather's going to be like tomorrow but you can't tell me what day next week Jesus is going to come back I wouldn't think that would be particularly hypocritical would you? so why were the Pharisees hypocrites? because they knew they had Messiah in front of them they knew they had Messiah in front of them they knew he was the son of God they were just trying to find any reason possible to reject him it's not hypocritical to want to see a sign from Jesus if you're not sure it is hypocritical when you are sure and you're trying to find a way of proving him not to be true they could tell that it was going to be weather tomorrow if the sun was sh- if the sunset was whatever anyway that's the point he's making come back with me to Matthew chapter 9 the second way of looking at it is not only do I think many of them did know that he was Messiah even if they didn't know he was Messiah how many signs do you want How many? I mean, we're only going to look at Matthew's gospel, and we're only going to look at Matthew's gospel very briefly before the incident in Matthew 16, and we're only going to look at the incidents where we know for a fact that some some scribe, Pharisees or scribes or Sadducees were there. We're not going to think about the other ones where it doesn't tell us specifically that the Pharisees or Sadducees were there. We're just going to mention, look briefly, the ones where we know for a fact they were there. And I suggest to you, by the time we get to Matthew chapter 16, they knew he was the Son of God. Matthew 9 verse 27 and when Jesus departed thence two blind men followed him crying and saying thou son of David have mercy on us and when he was coming to the house the blind men came to him and Jesus saith unto them believe ye that I am able to do this they said unto him yea lord then touched he their eyes saying according to your faith be it unto you and their eyes were opened And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it, but they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. It's bad enough healing the sight of one person, but he's done it to two at the same time. By the mouth, this is the Old Testament law, and the Pharisees were the top of the tree when it came to understanding the law. By the mouth of two or three witnesses should a matter be established if one person said it rained jelly from the sky don't believe him if two people said it rained jelly from the sky you better start thinking about it and if three you've got to find a matter a matter can be established so when by the way we see in many of us say things like um uh, you know when you get old these things happen to you you have a phrase in your head and then it just disappears you know um, where two or three are gathered together in my name there sh- there, there's Jesus in the midst we've all heard that haven't we so we all we all brethren we regularly say it's good to be here where two or three of us are gathered together in my in Jesus name but it's not what he's talking about at all not that at all the context of what Jesus is saying where two, where two or three are gathered together in my name when two or three people who've fallen out and are trying desperately to solve the problems in the spirit of Christ I'm there with you trying to help it I don't mind the saying he said at a memorial service I don't know if he said it I don't know I don't mind it being said because it's a nice phrase it's a nice idea but meanings change over time not necessarily according to the original anyway moving back I forgot where I was uh, verse 20 
Oh, my wrong chapter. So, uh, so there's, there's two of them being uh, healed, as it were. And they went out. Behold, they brought, him, brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when he spake, the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marvelled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. Wonderful, isn't it? Fantastic. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils by the prince of devils. Now, we won't go into the detail of that. But that is a, an horrendous thing to say. That is an awful thing to say. They are, they're not just saying, oh, we don't believe you. They were accusing him of certain things. And Jesus went about in all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when the, he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. So all I'm simply saying there is there's an incident where he's healed a dumb man and then the Pharisees have reacted. Chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 10. Um, but, but the incident prior to that is about the Pharisees being a pain. But verse 10, And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? They're trying to accuse him at all the time. Hopefully he'll say, Yes, you can heal on the Sabbath day, so that they can accuse him. He can't be the Son of God if you've healed on the Sabbath day so if a man who has a hand who's withered I mean I was behind somebody in a petrol station recently a few months back and it was quite sad I didn't realise initially what was going on but the gentleman had filled up his car with petrol fine and he'd gone to the counter to pay fine but I suddenly realised he had a lame hand his, his right hand was completely motionless he couldn't move it so he was trying to get his money out of his pocket with his left hand and get his card out of his wallet with his, only with his left hand hand over the card and t it, it was really quite difficult for him if I could have healed him like that I would have done it there and then and if Jesus had have healed him in front of me on the Sabbath day if it had been a Pharisee I'd have accused Jesus that's the type of people they were it's not what, was, was what it should have been. So he replies, What man, verse 11, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into the pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? If you've lost a sheep, save it, whatever day of the week it is. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. Now again, think about this. Think about a man who's got a withered hand. What's the one thing you want to do when you've got a withered hand, possibly, depending on your confidence or, or nervousness or whatever? You want to hold, keep it away from people. You don't want to show the fact you've got a withered hand. But Jesus being Jesus says, stretch forth your hand in front of the Pharisees. Now I don't know about you, but I think we'd have been moved. I think we'd have been touched by it, even if we didn't know who Jesus was. He's, he's just, that poor man, all of his life has had a withered hand. And now he's got a good hand. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Matthew chapter 16, they're looking for a sign. Verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch as that the blind and the dumb spake, both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, the lord of the flies. Again, it's a, it's a wicked thing to say. 
And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? So it's, it's, all, it's all a bit difficult. Basically, how can, how can the Son of God be called... Satan can't do such wonderful things. A good man can do such wonderful things, but they were offended, greatly offended. Um, chapter 12, still, verse 38 then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. So when we got to chapter 16, and he says to, they say to him, show us a sign, show us a sign. They've already said it to him before, just after he'd done a miracle. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And what happened at Jonah with Jonah? Oh, that must have re- Ooh, that that was a bit awkward. They knew what happened. You see, Jonah was as Jonah was a despised prophet because the prophets they prophesied for the growth and development of Israel or Judah. The prophecy that Jonah did saved the Ninevites, and they were wicked. But they had to acknowledge that he was a prophet sent from God. You look, you don't like Jonah but you sort of accept him now and what was the sign of the prophet Jonah well we know about his death and resurrection as in he was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights but he preached to people that you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have liked him preaching to and they were healed and they were forgiven and he was right miserable that's what they say in Yorkshire he was right miserable because the Nevites weren't put to death you didn't like that Chapter 14, verse 34. So we've given them that sign before. Um, I'm just checking them in the yeah. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret, and the men of that place had knowledge of him. They sent out into all that country round about him, brought unto him all that were diseased, and brought, besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. So I, I don't, we don't, we're not told what the diseases are, but imagine people who... I, I saw somebody, a young lad in, um, in Russia, and I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say because I certainly didn't know how to help, and he obviously had some form of abscess near his eye, and he was about 12, and his eye was out here. And the Russians, being the Russians with no medical whatever, they just get on with it. And this poor lad just got on with it. And I just, possibly for the first time in my life, wished I had some power. There's nothing I could do. And there was nothing they could do in their day either, because they had no NHS. Sorry, am I speaking too quietly? Tell me if I am. They had no NHS. They had no medical provision. And here's a man who suddenly can heal people and people who have got leprosy and are crippled and who are all these different things isn't it wonderful not if you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee because the Pharisees felt and the Sadducees felt they had authority but this man who was neither a Pharisee 
And of the Pharisees, they were divided within the Pharisees between sort of left wing and right wing. There were the Hillel, who were relatively left wing, and there were Shammai, who were relatively right wing, if you know what I mean by that. And Paul, by the way, it seems to me his family was from Hillel, bizarrely. I thought it'd be from the other side. But anyway, he, he's neither one of them, and he's not one of them, so he's nobody. So he's all got all of this ability, and people were amazed at his miracles and amazed at the lovely things that he did. And by what authority do you do these things? Because you're not one of us, and you're not even one of those. I do it by God's authority. And there was nothing they could do to stop him. Verse 1 of chapter 15, then came to, as we read this morning, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. I don't really think, although they were complaining about Jesus and the disciples not washing their hands when they eat bread, they were doing anything they could find to point the finger at him and say he can't be the son of God because he doesn't wash his hands properly before they eat a meal. And it's because of all the other things that he'd done before that they're trying to pin something on him, anything they can find. Now come back with me to Matthew 16. The people of that day knew exactly what a red sky at night was, what it meant. They knew that the weather was likely to be better tomorrow. Verse 4, half of verse 3, O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Now, we, we think of the signs of the times in our day, don't we? All right, you, you might be very wise. If Jesus was speaking now, he might be able to say, you even, you even understand the atmospheric conditions that work out which way the weather's going to go in your day. You could even communicate with people the other side of the world in an instant in your day. You can even, for example, I know you're not interested in rugby, but you might not remember, but England won the World Cup. So what? In 2003, I believe, November 2003. I'm going to tell you something really quite remarkable about that. It's nothing to do with rugby. It's about discerning the signs of the times. In that ground, crowd were nearly 89,000 fans. Presumably, nearly, well, just over half of them would have been Australian, and the other half, I suppose, less the dignitaries, would have been English, I suppose. And who scored the winning try? The winning goal? Yeah, see, you get more communication when you talk about rugby than you do other things. Um, and, and Johnny Wilkinson did something apparently Anna's going to tell you off when you get home um, Johnny Wilkinson did something sorry Anna I know, I know you won't but I'll tell him off for you um, but Johnny Wilkinson did something really remarkable on that day and I think it was the only time he ever did it he scored with his right foot all his other drop goals were with his left foot but he practised and practised and practised that move as they all had and practised that move and then when the ball came to him he deliberately turned to his right foot because the big beast of a man running towards him to clatter him, he could get a little bit further away before he kicked it through the posts. And what happened when the ball went through the posts? Do you know, if you were watching, and I wasn't, I was at Scarborough doing a teaching brethren speaking course or something else. Fancy having it on that day. But do you know, if you were watching the television in the England, watching that rugby match, you knew that Johnny Wilkin had scored before the English fans at the other end of the ground. That's a fact. The, the satellite that was beaming it, 
the beaming of the, the match went up, down, up, down, up, down on all these satellites and onto your television screen that you knew that Johnny Wilkin had scored that goal before the echo reverberated around, the sound reverberated around the stadium and the people at the other end of the ground knew it had happened. You can discern that Johnny Wilkinson has scored a goal 12,000 miles away before people are 150 yards away. But can you see anything of Jesus coming back? The world can see all sorts of things, can't it? But does it recognize Jesus, who he is? And what Jesus is saying here, you know what the weather's like. You're quite clever. You can work out the weather. I'm standing in front of you. I'm the son of God. I've healed all of these people. I've fulfilled all of the prophecies that you know well. And you Pharisees, you know your law better than anyone else. You know I've fulfilled it. You can see all of this. You're a hypocrite. So the question for me is, as a sort of an excitational point, what am I failing to see as clearly should do? What am I, on a day-by-day basis, maybe refusing to properly acknowledge that God created the heavens and the earth and the universe and everything therein? I should think about that every morning when I wake up. That man, in his wicked way and sinful way, needed, a, needed salvation and gave, God gave us his son. And that son was so good that he chose to die for my sin. Personalize it. And God raised him from the dead because of my sin and because of his righteousness. And that man whom God ordained is coming back to this earth to establish his kingdom. We can discern the signs of the times. Let's make sure we don't miss what's right in front of us. We know that Jesus is coming back. We don't have to know whether it's this week or next. We know he's coming back. We have to watch the signs. Jesus is in front of us almost as clearly as it was in front of the Pharisees. Let's not be called hypocrites for failing to see him and what he is. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website. Ormskirk Christadelphians.org.uk